you are fifth grade or under, and you did not pick up uh, the worship guide for kids, would you raise your hand if you don't have one? Yes, thank you. You do have one. Does anybody not have one of these? It says four kids at the top, fifth grade or below. Do you need one? Do you need one? Uh, Malachi, can you run over? Anybody else? Do you need one back there? All right. Uh, someone whose name probably they don't want me to say out loud over there needs one. Not all of us like attention to ourselves. I do. Always have, matter of fact. Anybody else? Throw your hand up. A fifth grader below, Mike, you don't get one. No, you, you can have the regular one. You can have the full-on bulletin. No worship guide for now. Fifth grader below, fifth grader below. Okay, once you have one, flip to the back. This is all pre-sermon, all you adults. Just, you don't need to pay attention right now. Uh, there is a, at the bottom of the notes section on the back, there's sermon attention sentence has three blanks in it. Okay, this is what you are listening for today. You can listen to all of it. You should listen to all of it. Uh, my sermon, but this you really want to listen to because in my office, I have more of these. These are sermon attention cards and they have little crowns on them, little risen king crowns. And if you bring your worship guide for kids to me after the gathering with that filled in correctly, then you will have the candy that you flock to me to uh, every week, flock to me for. And if every week over the next three months you do that and you have 10 out of 13 punches the end of June, on your card, which I'll keep. You don't even have to worry about keeping the card. I'll keep them, have your name on it. Then there will be another special surprise for you. I'm not going to tell you what it is, but it involves ice cream. (laughs) And if you're older than fifth grade, sorry. (laughs) Deal with it. Buy your own ice cream. One of, if we were to, you were to do a poll across America, guys, you, I'll give you ice cream. You don't have to leave. <laughs> Sorry. If we were to do a poll across uh, America of uh, most popular Bible verses, I'm sure John 3.16 as a reference would come up, even if people don't know what it says. Uh, and then everybody loves the, you know, God is love uh, and don't judge other people, even though they don't know the context of either of those verses. Uh, but then I think probably I'll go top five people's favorite Bible verses would be this. Uh, God helps those who help themselves. Uh, Many people think that that's in the Bible, but it's not. Don't write it down yet, kids. It's a trick question. It's not the right phrase. But this is not just a simple error, a a uh, misascribing, a misascription. It isn't just not biblical. I would say this phrase is unbiblical. It's actually pagan in origin. Aesop told a story about a man with a cart full of gravel. And him and his donkey, they got kind of hung up in the mud. And so he called out to strong Hercules, one of the gods, to help him get the cart out of the mud. And Hercules said, like, you get it out of the mud. Because the moral is, the heavens help those who help themselves. And then Benjamin Franklin and someone else popularized it in a God helps those who help themselves. Benjamin Franklin uh, was a deist, which is not what we would hold ourselves to, right? It's like God sets things up and steps back. And so God helps those who help themselves. You do it. Your own bootstraps. Not good. Not biblical. The truth is that God helps those who can't help themselves. God helps those who can't help themselves. Won't always be this obvious. Genesis chapter 2, if you would take your copy of God's Word and turn there. Genesis chapter 2, shouldn't take you long, it's like the second page of my Bible. In this passage so far, as we're in Genesis 2, 18 to 25, God, the master crafter, life giver, provider, and designer... God has created the man, his royal son, and placed him in a garden to work it and keep it. This involved cultivating and developing the plants, also protecting and guarding this special place from impending evil. 
Apparently, this evil could come from the man himself. So God uh, gives him this command, and he needs to guard himself from disobedience, uh, according to the command that we see in verses 16 and 17, where God says, You may surely eat of every tree of the garden, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat. For in the day that you eat of it, you shall surely die. And that brings us to our passage for today, Genesis chapter 2, verses 18 to 25. I hope you'll follow along as I read. Then the Lord God said, It is not good that the man should be alone. I will make him a helper fit for him. Now out of the ground the Lord God had formed every beast of the field and every bird of the heavens and brought them to the man to see what he would call them. And whatever the man called every living creature, that was its name. The man gave names to all livestock and to the birds of the heavens and to every beast of the field. But for Adam, or the man, there was not found a helper fit for him. So the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall upon the man. And while he slept, slept, he took one of the ribs and closed up its place with flesh. And the rib that the Lord God had taken from the man, he made or built into a woman and brought her to the man. Then the man said, This at last is bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. And the man and his wife were both naked and were not ashamed. So God created the man and then placed him in the garden. The man then begins to exercise the dominion that God had given him over the animals. Do you remember chapter 1, verse 28? God said to them, have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over every living thing that moves on the earth. And then we see that being fulfilled in chapter 2, verses 19 and 20. That God had made these creatures and brings them to the man, his royal son, with this dominion to exercise. uh, And he names them, just as God had named things authoritatively. Now, the man is creating or naming things authoritatively. And this was the beginning of the man exercising the dominion that God had called him to. I see no reason in the text to think that Adam was anything other than happy, satisfied, content, and enjoying his work over God's creation immensely. But something wasn't right. Something was missing. And we know that not because Adam said anything, But because God said it was so, verse 18 starts that off. This is your first time reading Genesis, which I don't think that it is. But if it was, then imagine how stark this phrase is, right? Remember everything that we've covered so far. Then you get to verse 18. Then the Lord God said, it is not good that the man should be alone. I will make him a helper fit for him. And that returns us to the center of our sermon that God helps those who can't help themselves. Uh, Two points, (laughs) and if you know me, that doesn't mean anything regarding length. Uh, Two points today. The first is that we need help. We need help. Whether we know it or not, whether we admit it or not, we need help. First, Adam needed help. That's what we see in this text. God's goal for Adam was not just work and keeping the garden. Uh, We know from Genesis 1.28, God blessed humanity and said to them, be fruitful and multiply. Uh, This very specifically was something Adam could not do on his own. Uh, He also could not reproduce with the help of any of the other creatures that God had made. But is the help Adam needed just help making babies? I don't think that's the case. Because that's not the emphasis really placed on the text. God's statement or evaluation was that it was not good that the man should be alone. And this is a very stark statement because it's the first time that we see anything that isn't good. Day one, as good. It's good, 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 good. However many times I've said it so far, not good. Like, whoa, not Not good? What does that mean? Well, it doesn't mean sinful. It doesn't mean broken. It does mean that creation itself was incomplete. God was was, uh, not finished because something, someone, was lacking. Someone was missing. So creation wasn't complete. God was not finished. We really should be expecting that in chapter 2 because of what we already read in chapter 1. God's image is seen in male and 
female. So when we get into Genesis 1 or Genesis 2, we're like, isn't there, isn't there somebody missing? Like, how do, how do we see verses 26, 27, and 28 when there's just one guy? God's image is seen in male and female. So God doesn't say Adam needs a breeder. He says he needs a helper or a partner, one who would image God with him and image God to him, pointing him back to the God who made him. One author said this helper would be a corresponding counterpart. As a counterpart, she would share in his nature. Male and female were created in the image of God. Correspondence, fit for, like him. And as his matching opposite, she would supply what was lacking in him. A corresponding counterpart or a helper fit, corresponding, similar to him. Adam needed help. Husbands need help. I grew up with my mom and, oh, and my dad, but it just doesn't apply to this sermon. No offense. I grew up with my mom and two older sisters. Now that I'm married, I have Leanne and I have five daughters. And mom once said that God knew it would take that many women to take care of me. And she's not wrong. Uh, every wife in this room knows uh, that this point is true, that husbands need help. Almost thought I'd get some amens on that, but maybe you're just quieter about it. But most husbands, often myself included, are really oblivious to this truth, that husbands need help. The world likes to portray this, that husbands need help, as though husbands are helpless, bumbling idiots without a wife to rule over and guide and teach him. That's not biblical. But what kind of help is needed? Well, I like eating a lot. I also like cooking. Well, Leanne likes cooking. Uh, she's an excellent cook, but did God give Leanne to me because I needed help cooking? No, that's not what I think this plays out as. Last time I checked, uh, my hands are not allergic to water, uh, and since I can, they can grip a shovel, they can also grip a broom, even though you hold it a little bit differently. Uh, in other words, I'm capable of cleaning. Leanne and I have very different standards of cleanliness. Hers is much higher than mine. But did God give Leanne to me because I needed help cleaning? Did God give me Leanne to just have somebody to sleep with? Well, like I said regarding Adam and Eve, that's not the emphasis of the text. But what kind of help as a husband do I need? Well, I need the help of prayer. I need the help of encouragement, the help of admonishment, admonishing me, the help of really someone to draw me out of myself to think of others. And therefore, by that, the help of my sinful selfishness being revealed, which is not Leanne's fault. <laughs> I'm enough on my own. But having a relationship and not being alone actually draws out aspects of my own incompleteness. As much as I might be content, the guys, I think you know, many of you would know what I'm talking about here. As much as I might be content and satisfied being alone in a cabin in the woods with a faithful dog at my side, that would not be good for me as a man, as an image bearer, and certainly not as a follower of Christ. Not good. Husbands, do you long for, do you covet independence? Do you claim a self-sufficiency? I am everything that I need. So many times my flesh rises up when my heart is in conflict with Leanne, and I want to show her, and she knows this, I want to show her, and I want to show everyone in the world how unneedy I am. I can cook. I can clean. I can work. I can do everything on my own and by myself. I don't need you. I don't need anybody. Just me. And God has said, it is not good that Peter should be alone. I have made Leanne a helper fit for him. Are we so sinfully arrogant that we would refuse to acknowledge our need for help and the goodness of being helped by our wives? Are we grateful, expressively so, of the necessary assistance and support that they provide? May God produce these attitudes in us by his spirit. It isn't just husbands that need help. Adam needed help. Husbands need help. Humans need help. Are you a human? Hope so. <laughs> Weird if you're not. But all, hus all humans, excuse me, need help. It's universally true. 
Uh, The young need help from the old, and really then the old need help from the younger. The immature need help from the mature, and really if there's a drawing out, then the mature need the help of the immature. The sick need help from the healthy, and the healthy benefit from and need help from the sick. The poor need help from the rich, the rich need help from the poor. Men need help from women, women need help from men. Whatever your trade might be, you need help from people of other trades, Coal miners, train conductors, steel workers, power plant workers, farmers, teachers, engineers, doctors, nurses, we all need help. And it is not possible and it is not good for us to live alone in solitude apart from dependence on other people. It is not good for us as image bearers to be alone and it's not necessary for us to live that out. So are your eyes open to the help that you need in every area of your life? Because self-sufficiency is a delusion. And it is a rejection of God's design for humanity. Humans need help. You know what else? Sinners need help. Husbands are sinners. Humans are sinners. But sinners need help. Just a few short chapters we're going to read of the wickedness of humanity multiplying on the earth. It's Genesis chapter 6. Every intention of the thoughts of humanity's heart being only evil continually. Later, David would write in the Psalms and then Paul would quote him in Romans that there is none who does good, not even one. Paul would develop that argument and then state very definitively in Romans chapter 8 where he says this, The mind that is set on the flesh is hostile to God, for it does not submit to God's law. Indeed, it cannot. Those who are in the flesh cannot please God. We cannot repent on our own. We cannot believe on our own. We will not submit and cannot submit on our own. We can't please God. Our Lord Jesus Christ says the same thing. John chapter 15, whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. Whoever you are sitting here today, whatever stage or situation of life that you are in, young or old, man or woman, married or single, member or visitor, whoever you are, these things are true of you, that you are a sinner before God and that there is nothing that you can do to fix that problem on your own. You need help. Children, have you recognized that? That it's not just, I can do better if I obey my mom and dad, like that's not enough. You are a sinner before God, and there's nothing that you can do to fix yourself and make yourself pleasing to him. You have broken his laws or his rules. You have rebelled against him. You are a traitor to his kingdom. That's the seriousness of sin. You need help. Teenagers, eager to solve your own problems and assert your independence, You cannot escape the reality that you are helpless in your sin. Adults, men, women, parents, husbands, wives, grandparents, great-grandparents, bosses, employees, students, teachers, you are sinners. And sinners need help. You have a debt before God that you cannot pay on your own. You need forgiveness that you cannot earn. You cannot save yourself. You are a sinner, and sinners need help. Christians also need help. We don't just need help to become Christians. Maybe that's the extent that you think that help goes to. A lot of times we just have this default thinking. It's like, yeah, I need help to become a Christian, and then I'm on my own as a Christian. It's not true. Christians need help. Across both Testaments, we see God creating a covenant people, not just covenant individuals. And following Christ was never intended to be a solo endeavor. 
If following Christ was a sport, it would be a team sport. Every body needs all its parts, all of its members. Every part of that body is needed and needs every other part of that body. There are no James Bond or Jason Bourne Christians fighting all the bad guys on their own. We are an army working together. And we need to admit, though, that we as Christians need help. But how willing are we to do that? How willing are you to admit that as a Christian you need help? When are we willing to admit this? Keith put this to me this week and put it well. We may often hear a Christian say, you know what, last week I was struggling. That's good. They didn't mission that you were in need. But how often do we hear people admit, you know what, right now I am struggling. Right now I need help. Not just like, you know what, I needed it. I need it now. When was the last time that you, you texted that to someone? Or, or honestly opened up in a conversation? How are you? Well, I'm fine. Liar. I don't think any of us are fine. Ever. Worst word for fellowship. So you're either just great and rejoicing, or you're not doing good, and there's a reason. And maybe, maybe there's that middle, right? You're like, no, I'm right in the middle. It's like, whatever. What about, how are you? I am discouraged. How are you? I am angry at my kids right now. I am, I am sinning. I need prayer. I am, I'm not. I am discontent with my spouse. Would you actually admit that? I am battling lust. I am doubting. I am struggling with unbelief. I am lonely. I am selfish. Christians need help. Are you willing to admit, not just like, where, you know, where were you last week? Or how are you doing? Oh, well, yesterday I was discouraged. What about right now? Christians need help. Does God expect us to battle these things on our own? Does God help those who help themselves? No. God helps those who can't help themselves. And the first step toward receiving help is admitting that you need help to yourself and to other people and to the Lord. Whoever you are, you need help. And you're not alone in that. I need help. We need help. And praise God, that's only half the sermon. <laughs> kind of depressing. You all are as pathetic as I am. Let's pray and go home. No. God helps those who can't help themselves. And that's the second truth is that God provides help. We need help. God provides help. God, this is great. This is a whole sermon and I'm not going to preach all of it. Just shove it in here. You can search on it more. You know what? God is our helper. We've talked about like God introducing himself to us across scripture, right? Like we know a lot of it, but we're starting at the beginning. And the first thing that God says, like who is God? You can't define that apart from God is creator, right? In the beginning, God created. Be like, oh, wow. Okay, so I can't think of God apart from creator. I think if you were to do a search of like, what are the different things that are said about God by himself or about other people? I think number two to creator is helper. Where do I get that from? It's a primary way that God has revealed himself to us. Is the word help occurs over 200 times in scripture. Twice it refers to a wife. A few times it refers to humans. And the overwhelming majority, probably like 200 out of 226, the word help is used in scripture to refer to God. That's a lot. Both testaments. The overwhelming majority. God was a help to Moses escaping from Pharaoh. He named his son, God was my help. He is a help as a shield against attacks. He is a help to David who is poor and needy of salvation. He is a help in providing atonement. He is a help to those who are falling. Job said that God helped him who has no power and saved the arm that has no strength. God helps those who trust in him. He helps as a shepherd. 
In Psalm 10, God is the helper of the fatherless. Not only is God the Father our helper, but Jesus helps us in times of temptation and in times of weakness. And Jesus promised to send the Holy Spirit, who is another helper. Hebrews 13, verses 5 to 6, ties together nicely this message from both Testaments. God has said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. So we can confidently say, the Lord is my helper. I will not fear. What can man do to me? Hebrews is quoting Psalm 118 here. The Lord is my helper at my side. What's the point of all of that? Why is, this, why is, why is that a valuable sermon in and of itself? Because if you hear the word help, or you hear the title helper, and you don't first think of God, then I don't think you've read your Bible very well. Because God is the helper of his people. Since God is said, one author wrote, since God is said to exercise the role of helper, the term does not diminish the person who holds that role. If anything, the divine nuance of the term helper in the Pentateuch gives special dignity. God himself helps us directly, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. God also provides help by providing helpers. God helps God provides help through helpers, which again, a highly honored God-like title or role. God provided Eve for Adam. God said that Adam needed help, so he provided a helper fit for him or corresponding to him or similar to him or complementary to him. And I love how this story is laid out. I, ho- I hope you still have it open. Uh, God parades all the beasts and birds passed Adam. I don't know how long this took, uh, day, more than a day. It kind of depends on how we want to view these things. That's fine. Uh, but he does this to show that nothing already in creation would fill this special role. As the man considered each animal carefully to name it properly, he would have noticed that Mr. Robin had Mrs. Robin. And Mr. Leopard had Mrs. Leopard. And Mr. Wolf had Mrs. Wolf. But among all of these animals, there was no Mrs. Man. And in this way, God uses Adam's first task to produce a longing in him for what was missing. As he was, he, I think Adam was fine. And then God's kind of like parading these animals and being like, male, female, male, female, male, female, male. I am missing something. He was missing his equal opposite. And since no helper already existed for the man, one more creative act was necessary. The final, crowning, completing act of creation. The Lord God puts the man to sleep. The first nap was a gift from God. Amen? Right? Rest and sleep. This is good. Creation's very good. Then God removes one of his ribs or... It's like a big chunk of it or something. And thankfully, he doesn't leave a gaping hole from the site of surgery. That'd be weird. Uh, from that rib, he makes or, or builds a woman. One author wrote this. This was neat. Uh, she was not made out of his head to top him, or, nor out of his feet to be trampled under him, uh, but out of his side to be equal with him, under his arm to be protected, and near his heart to be beloved. Maybe if it was this side, near the heart. Here it is. Eve was taken out of Adam so that he might embrace with great love one who is a part of himself. Here's a point that we could overlook. Another, uh, love having Keith to run sermon stuff by, bring out more in community because I need help. (laughs) Preachers need help. Who did Eve first see when she was created? Who was it? It was God. That's who Eve first saw. The text doesn't say this, but did God breathe into her nostrils the breath of life so that she too became a living creature? I'm not sure what else could have happened. And so as Keith like picturesquely said, right, like the father stoops down to his royal son and kisses him affectionately to give him life. Did he not do the same for his royal daughter? Intimately giving life to her? Again, not as a lover, as a father. 
Either way, that's what the woman was created, as a royal daughter of God, created in his image first before she is introduced to the man. And then in my mind, here's what happens next. Adam wakes up. He's a little groggy. And he yawns, and he sees God. He's excited, of course. It's always been good to spend time with God. God says to Adam, Adam, do you remember how I said that it wasn't good for you to be alone? Oh, yes, Lord, I I remember that. Uh, Do you remember how none of the animals that you named could be a a helper that was fit for you? Yeah, I, I remember. That was a bummer. Well, I have a gift for you. Close your eyes. And then he motions to the woman to come close. Because as a, as a father to Adam, he provides the gracious gift of helper that he is lacking. As a father to Eve, he leads his daughter and gives her away like we practice at weddings. Okay, Adam, open your eyes. And then the man's eyes grew wide and his jaw dropped to the ground. I think an accurate paraphrase of the Hebrew here would be, wow. <laughs> He's so impressed He's so grateful, he's so amazed that he writes a poem about her, the first human words recorded in Scripture. This, at last, is bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. A little bit of an aside, a side note to this. I'm not sure about every language because I didn't want to spend my time considering all of those things, but English actually carries over a word connection here that the Hebrew has. Uh, man in Hebrew, you might be able to see this if, depending on what your notes are at the bottom of, of your Bible. Uh, man is in Hebrew is the word ish or ish. Uh, and woman is isha, isha, ish, isha, man, woman, right? We see the connection it had in those languages. There's a, there's a biblical foundation to that. So however you pronounce it with the Y or the X is not biblical, because there's supposed to be a connection between these things, and it's from creation. Finally, we have commentary, verse 24, perhaps from Adam, perhaps from Moses, about the marriage union of the man and woman. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother, hold fast to his wife. What a great leaning on, clinging to, drawing close. Hold fast, cleave to his wife. They shall become one flesh. And the man and his wife were both naked and were not ashamed. Theirs was a happy, blessed marriage union. And if it makes you feel weird to read naked in the Bible, there's no need, okay? Because we have lots of picture Bibles at our house, and we checked them all this week, and they are all very clear on this one fact, that every time Eve was walking around, she was always carrying an animal, uh, perhaps a a bushy-tailed fox, uh, or or there was always an animal walking waist height, like a peacock or or a deer, Uh, or her modesty was always guarded by a conveniently placed bush or tree branch. There's nothing to worry about. It's not awkward at all. But the center of this is that God provides help. Adam needed help. God provided the woman, Eve, as his helper. God provides help. Eve for Adam, wives for husbands. Do we have a biblical view of marriage? Do we have a biblical perspective on wives in particular? Husbands, again, the world speaks of wives as burdens. But Proverbs 18.22 says, He who finds a wife finds a good thing and obtains favor from the Lord. The world calls wives in marriage the old ball and chain. But Proverbs 12.4 states that an excellent wife is the crown of her husband. Again, Proverbs 19, 14, house and wealth are inherited from fathers, but a prudent wife is from the Lord. So, Guys, do, do you recognize that your wife is a gift of help for you from God? From God. Do you give thanks to him for her? Do you treat her as a gift for your good? And wives, God says each of these things about you We also see that not everything given for good in creation is used for good. So are you helping your husband live for the glory of God? I recently heard someone talk about the bookends of Proverbs 31. If you're a woman of the word, you're like, oh, great, Proverbs 31 again. 
Much of that chapter and that book are, are descriptive rather than prescriptive. So it describes what one woman was rather than commanding what every woman must be. So if you don't have a fleet of ships personally uh, and you aren't involved in property management, that's okay. You are not a failure of a wife for not owning land and renting it out to others. But the opening bookend, Proverbs 31, verse 12, she does her husband good and not harm all the days of her life. She does her husband good. She helps him. Speaking of Proverbs, Solomon certainly knew about what wives were like. He certainly had enough of them. And he doesn't just praise good, godly, helpful wives. He also warns about bad, sinful, quarrelsome wives. He says twice, and I wonder who he had in mind, twice that he'd rather tuck himself into the corner of the roof of his house than have to share the whole thing with a quarrelsome wife. Then he says, what a picturesque, a continual dripping on a rainy day and a quarrelsome wife are alike. To restrain her is to restrain the wind. Good luck restraining that wind yesterday. Or to grasp that slippery oil in one's right hand. Uh, Stayed at an Airbnb while we were in uh, Washington, D.C. And it was like this tri-level thing and I had this room in the basement to myself, and I'm sitting down there putting down my stuff, and then all of a sudden I hear this chirping beep. What was that? I was like, oh, I know that sound. That's the sound of smoke detector. So I looked at the smoke detector in my room, waited for whatever, the 30 seconds. Is the beep going to happen? And I heard the beep, but it wasn't that one. It's like, oh, I'm finding this. Because I know I'm not sleeping with that thing going. So I checked the one in the hallway. It wasn't that one. And this is a whole long process. I'm getting so frustrated. Check the one in the bathroom. It's not that. Check the one on the stairwell. Not that. Upstairs? No, it's downstairs. Here, it's there. It's just kind of like one of those cricket things, like this little dripping. It's going to drive me insane. So I told the other guys, I was like, either I'm going to find this thing or you're going to find me in a corner chewing my nails tomorrow morning because these, right? And it was in a locked room that I found a way in and replaced that stinking battery because I was not about to do that, right? Drip, drip, beep. It wasn't even that. It was just like that every other, ugh. Terrible. Solomon, kind of like, there's a type of wife that is not for her husband's good. Wives, you were given by God to help your husband and to do him good, just as God helps, as God does good. So are you pursuing God's help to fulfill that high, honorable, necessary, God-like calling of helping your husband's? Speaking of Proverbs and Proverbs 31, I have most certainly found a good thing and an excellent helper in Leanne. I have obtained favor from the Lord in her, and she is such a profound help to me in so many ways. God uses her to sanctify me and encourage me and remind me of truth and to keep me moving forward in the plan that God has for me, and I would not be here as your pastor if it were not for my wife. One time she wrote a message to me that said, you husband well, Leanne, you help well. And as I I told her I was going to say these things, and we were both like, boy, I hope we're not fighting come Sunday, because that would be a really awkward part of the sermon. But by God's grace, we're not. It would have been true (laughs) either way. But I'm thankful that we feel that right now too. Thank you. Thank you, Lord. Wives provided by God for husbands. Humans provided for humans. I just couldn't think of a better way to word this point. All humans need help. God has provided a variety of helpers for humans. Teachers help us. Counselors help us. Mentors Uh, Just workers in various industries, doctors, mechanics, carpenters, even the government for our good, given by God for our help. In the Bible, leaders help cities, nations help nations, counselors help kings, men help women, women help men. Help abounds and it is all provided by God. And we need help as sinners and God has provided Christ as the help for sinners. Sinners need help. God provides help. God provided Christ as the helper of sinners. Are you tempted to sin? Of course you are. Jesus became human 
true flesh and blood, just like us, just like you, to suffer for you and pay your sin debt. And now hear the reminder from Hebrews chapter 2. Because he himself has suffered when tempted, he is able to help those who are being tempted. Are you overwhelmed by the reality of your own weakness? Have you come to the end of your strength and you're not sure how you can go on? Excellent. Because Hebrews 4 says, we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weakness, our weaknesses, one who in every way, every respect, has been tempted as we are yet without sin. And because we have that, then we can. Let us, come on, let us with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. You're overwhelmed. Jesus was overwhelmed and now leads you to his Father for help. In Romans 5, Paul highlights our helplessness and Christ's help while we were still weak. Is there anything weak, helpless, needy, right? Aren't those the same type of words? While we were still weak, at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly because that's part of our need. That's part of our weakness is our sinful ungodliness. One would scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person one would dare even to die, but you're not righteous and you're not good and neither am I. But God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Fellow sinner, the saving help that you need has been fully provided by Christ. Fully paid for by him at the expense of his own life. He is the only one who can help with your sin problem. The only path to freedom from your burden of guilt. You will never work hard enough to free yourself from your burden. What burden is that? I don't, I don't know exactly how you feel and experience that burden, but I know that you have it. And in one sense, the source of that is that knowledge, like we prayed about earlier today, that God knows you and knows that it's not just like a weak helplessness, but a defiant sinfulness. And he knows. He knows what you said and what you wanted to say. He knows what you did and what you didn't do. And you will give an account to him. Like that which we fear most as human beings is that we are, we are known and we'll have to answer for all that stuff that we try to keep everybody out from. God knows. That's why you need help. And that's what Christ has provided. Bearing the guilt, like taking the burden off of you, putting it on himself and suffering the punishment that you know you deserve. And then freeing you from that. Right? That's, the, that's the salvation help that God has provided for us in Christ. Will you receive his help? Fellow sinner, Jesus ready stands to save you. Although this text from Genesis leads us toward the goodness of marriage and help in marriage, it is not only for married people. All Christians need help young and old, men and women, married and single. God provides help for Christians. Christians need help. God provides help. God provides Christians to help Christians. God has provided that. There are many different relationships that we each have with different people here on earth. Some are closer than others, but all of them will pass away except our relationships with each other as brothers and sisters in Christ. That makes sense of Jesus saying, if you don't hate your father and mother and wives and children, and yourself also, right, for me? It makes sense of that, right? And then Jesus also saying, like, hey, your mom and your brothers and sisters are outside. Who, who is my mother? Who's my, who are my brothers and sisters? It's those who are in the family of God, and they don't believe, so they are separated from me. There are eternal relationships, and as of this moment, they weren't part of it. And then also those promises of, like, whoever's given up those things for my sake in the kingdom, like, is part of a family and will inherit this for all of eternity, right? All those passages start to make sense when we see that there are not eternal relationships and there are eternal relationships. In eternity, Leanne will not be my wife like she is right now. I'm not, like, rejoicing over that. It's just true. 
but she will be my sister in Christ forever. For all eternity, we will be in relationship with Jesus together. So which is more significant? In eternity, Juliet will not be my daughter like she is now, but she will be my sister in Christ forever. See, first and foremost, we are, every single one of us that is a follower of Christ, first, primarily, foremost, ultimately, whatever else the synonyms of that could be, first and foremost, we are followers of Christ and members of his body, brothers and sisters helping each other. And we cannot lose sight of that, inside or outside of marriage. In 1 Corinthians 12, verse 28, there's a spiritual gift from God called helping. Christians help Christians. And some are more gifted in that than others by the Spirit. But that gift is not reserved for wives or for women. It's for Christians. Christian men and women are to help each other in the church. 1 Thessalonians 5, 14, we urge you, brothers and sisters, admonish the idle, encourage the faint-hearted, help the weak, be patient with them all. Hebrews 10, 24, 25, we are to consider Give thought and intention to how to stir up one another to love and good works. Not neglecting to meet together. How could we do it if we don't ever come together? Not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day or that day, like we sang about, drawing near. And what is that encouragement and the stirring up, if not help and assistance and support for each other? Galatians 6.10, Paul writes, So then as we have opportunity, let us do good to everyone, especially to those who are of the household of faith. Which for us, we can just insert in that, right? Risen king church members. It's like, are you being exclusive to everything else? It's like, well, no and yes. Because you have a covenant responsibility as members of this church to first and foremost be fostering the relationships here. That's what those one another things are. We need to have a definition of that. You can't do good to every Christian on the planet. But you are called to do good and to help brothers and sisters who are fellow members here. Right? That's the covenant that we've made together. In John 3, 16, 1 John excuse me, 3, 16 to 18, John elaborates on this good help like Paul talked about in Galatians. By this we know love. Right? So let's set the context. John loves the word love, loves it. Right? And loves the phrase one another, and he's taking that from Jesus. What did Jesus say? This is how people will know that you are my disciples, if you finish, if you love one another. Okay. By this we know love, that he laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for the brothers and sisters. But if anyone has the world's goods and sees his brother or sister in need, yet closes his heart against him, how does God's love abide in him? Little children, that's us, let us not love in word or talk, but in deed and in truth. Christians help Christians. As an elder, I'm called to look out for your good as those under my care, and I'm called to help you. I also need my fellow elders to help me. And remember when we were talking about singing back in Colossians, that I need your help of encouragement to speak the truth of Christ let the word of Christ dwell in you richly as we sing to one another. You help me as my brothers and sisters. As a brother in Christ, I'm called to look out for your good and help you. And I also need you to help me. As a Christian husband, this extends to Leanne. By leading her to Christ, nourishing and cherishing her, am I not helping her live for the glory of God and seeking to do good to her? Of course, she helps me as well. As a Christian father, do I not help my children and do good to them? And I don't think that taking those phrases that God says, this is about Adam and Eve, this is about husbands and wives, I don't think taking that and then starting to funnel it out to see a universal need and help coming from all angles at any way diminishes the fact that a wife is called to be the helper to her husband. I think it's actually the, the trajectory of fulfillment that we see throughout these type of things, right? Like image isn't everything that it was, like, dominion isn't everything that it was. Sabbath isn't everything that it was. It's like there's this upward arc toward Christ. And so what's the point of happening in Genesis 2? It's to get us to help each other in love. Just as God has helped you, so help each other. 
Yes, and we see that very vividly in the marriage relationship, but that's just the start. That's a launching point for help across Christ's body to get us into eternity for his glory. See, that's the point of this passage. How are you helping each other in the various relationships that God has called you to? Christians, fellow members of the body of Christ here at Risen King Church, we have covenanted together to help and be helped by one another. So are you fulfilling that calling for the glory of Christ? See, because God helps those who can't help themselves. Or we could state it that we need help and God provides help. And our universal need for help and God's provision of help is seen vividly in marriage. A wife helping her husband. But that relationship is a shadow. As in it's not eternal. It's not the end. It's a dim outline that points forward to and is fulfilled by Christ. It's Christ. And this is what's crazy. You want to mention this to Leanne? It's kind of like, whoa, whoa, whoa. Doesn't that put Christ in the place of the bride? It's like God fulfills all of it. The church, do we help Jesus? We, we don't. I don't see that in any text. Christ has set this up to see because husbands and wives have mutual needs, but Christ leads and helps his people. It's all fulfilled in Christ. It's all, he's that, it's not the dim outline, he's not the shadow, he's the substance, he's the real and ultimate thing. Christ is the helper of his helpless people. Is Christ your helper? Are you humble, honest enough to admit that you need help in marriage, in life, in the church, in salvation? There's a humility, right? We want the pride and the arrogance of, I can do it. Is that you? Or do you come before Jesus, have mercy on me, help me? Is in salvation and then the rest of life flowing out of that, you are needy, needy of help. And are you desperate enough to receive the help that God provides? God, you are our helper. If I had come up with that on my own, I feel like it would have been insulting, uh, condescending, but you have said it. So it's not. It's not a lowering of you to help us. It's a grace. Thank you for your, your favor and grace to Adam, to us husbands, to us humans, us sinners, us Christians. You work in us to gratefully receive help and to graciously provide help to others, what you've called us to, that Christ may be glorified. Amen. Amen. Let's stand and sing of the faithfulness of this great God who